You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 20, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Waylon Lewis, founder of Elephant Journal, a leading online publication dedicated to the mindful life, which covers topics ranging from yoga to sustainability to politics to spirituality. Elephant Journal has over 9 million readers every month. Waylon has been named Treehugger's eco-ambassador in culture and celebrity and has garnered many other awards and accolades. We're extremely pleased to welcome Waylon Lewis to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Waylon Lewis, founder of Elephant Journal, about a wide variety of topics. And if you stick through to the end, you'll hear about the exciting new social media platform that Elephant Journal is in the process of launching that will be independent, hosted on the Elephant Journal site, and will be designed with the intention of promoting a more mindful way of interacting with social media. Which leads me to today's tip. Now, there's probably a million ways in which we could all become more mindful in our use of social media. I'll suggest just one and leave it to you to think about other ways in which you could bring mindfulness to your own use of social media. Whenever we look at, sometimes people say consume content on social media, it might be a video that a friend posts or shares, it might be a blog posting, it might be a comment. Just about every social media platform allows you to comment on that content. It might be as simple as a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It might be a rating. It might be a a comment that you write. It might be a video response. But there's a wide variety of ways in which we can respond to content on social media. And what I would suggest is taking a moment to pause before you comment, before you respond to something that you view on social media. I'm not saying not to respond. I'm only suggesting that if you see a video, and even if what you're about to do is something as simple as liking what you've seen by pressing a button, or giving it a simple star rating, suggesting you give a pause and think. First, do I need to respond to this? Do I need to comment on it? And if so, why? What's my intention behind it? And I'd suggest investigating your own intention, particularly if what you're about to do is write a comment, or provide feedback that has some actual content to it. Why is that? Well, it's no surprise to anyone that a lot of feedback and comments on the internet these days are less than fully mindful. (laughs) You might say they are mindless, thoughtless, often hurtful in ways which 
might be avoided if people paused for a moment and thought about what they were about to say before they said it. And this can happen to any of us. It's not just, quote, bad people who write hurtful comments or post hurtful content on the internet. Anyone really can do it in a mindless moment. And it's been commented on for many years that one of the features of the internet which can contribute to mindless and often hurtful content is the fact that when we write such content or post a video, we're not seeing the person or the people to whom that content is directed. There's some real benefits to this kind of detachment that internet content provides, but there's some also potential harmful downsides to writing, posting a video, commenting on something, particularly if your comment is directed at someone who you don't see and perhaps who you may not know, perhaps who you may not ever see in person or meet or communicate with directly. Uh, In that kind of situation, there can be a tendency to speak less mindfully than we would if we were speaking directly to the person that we are uh, writing or speaking about. So I'd ask that before you comment, as I said, before you even like, or if you're on a platform that allows you to dislike something, pause, think about what you're about to say, and in particular, see if you can picture the person or people who are going to be on the receiving end of that feedback of yours. If you don't know who that person is, if you've never met them, just picture who they might be. Think about what it might feel like to be on the receiving end of the comment you're about to provide. And give a second thought to either whether you want to provide that comment, or even if you do, perhaps to whether you might want to change what you say or how you say it. So in that vein, let's turn now to my interview with Waylon Lewis, founder of Elephant Journal. Thanks so much, Waylon, for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hey, thank you. We talk about everything related to science, technology, and mindfulness. You can find us on iTunes at Technology for Mindfulness, on Facebook at Technology for Mindfulness, pretty much everywhere, uh, Technology for Mindfulness. And I wanted to, to start by just talking with you a little bit about Elephant Journal. I think most people listening to us already know about Elephant Journal, but I wonder how would you describe it to someone who's never heard about it before? Yeah, that's funny. I was just meeting with our sales team this morning and we were talking about exactly that. Like, how do you describe what Elephant is? Um, If you look at our Twitter feed, uh, where we've had some big success over the years, being named number one in the country for green twice, you know, probably 5% of what we tweet is about anything environmental. 
um, it's all over the map. It's everything from Trump to environmental stuff to yoga to quotes, you know. Um, so what the hell are we about? We're basically about anything that's good for you, that's good for everyone, that's good for me, and that's good for our planet. Um, so we're pretty mission focused. And, um, you know, our whole goal is not to just preach to the choir, but but actually connect with those who might disagree with us and uh, re-engender a kind of mindful um, conversation, which uh, God knows this world really needs right now. Yeah, this idea of not preaching to the choir is really powerful. I think also it's got to be quite challenging. You know, there's lots of people who are really firmly in the, uh, let's say, in the choir. You know, these are really uh, <laughs> smart people, dedicated people, knowledgeable, wise people. And, you know, how do you work as, as in your position to help those people reach out to a broader audience? Right. Yeah. Great question. Uh, you're good at this. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, you know, there's a real tendency for people to speak in what I call sort of tree fort language where they, um, you know, if you're a yoga teacher, you start saying the asanas and the niyamas and the this and that without defining it. So number one, everyone who writes on elephant has to be accessible uh, and be speaking beyond just their choir, um, which, you know, often is very simple. You just have to remind them of that. Um, but if I'm reading an article and it's clear that the author is really only talking to people who already get the whole subject, uh, and if I'm not already in that group, I'm going to peel off. So our goal is for people, kind of like The New Yorker, which is one of the publications I grew up admiring. The New Yorker writes about 12 subjects or whatever, every issue that I don't care anything about. Because like, you know, recently I read about how people are digging under all the walls that already do exist in, in the drug trade with Mexico. That's not a subject I really want to spend an hour reading about. But because I respect The New Yorker and I trust their amazing storytelling and journalistic standards, I read that and I learn something and I learn a whole new set of, you know, I learn about this world that we're in and uh, challenges and delights and my mind expands, my experience and my empathy can expand. So in the same way with Elephant, um, we encourage people to be accessible, number one, and number two, to not be afraid of um, kind of offending people. And then when we do offend people to not soapbox at them and just create these sort of flame wars, but to really have a respectful conversation. I mean, that sounds like the holy grail of the internet, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good, I mean, just from a business point of view, it's a great uh, market that's sort of untapped. You know, there's very few publications who um, that are trying to do that. Yeah. In fact, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of attention paid to the phenomenon that people often end up getting more and more entrenched in their own small groups on the Internet, which was not what people originally thought might happen or that what it was intended to do. And so it sounds like you found a way or are continuing to find a way to help people expand who they're connecting with rather than just stay in their own small niches. Exactly. Well said. Um yeah, uh, everyone. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. That was brilliant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, when I searched uh, today, I looked uh, up Elephant Journal on Google, and I don't know if this is on the site or if it's just in the meta tags. It, it had underneath it yoga, sustainability, politics, and spirituality. I really loved those four keywords. <laughs> yeah. Don't up and see them together. 
Yeah, it's funny. The politics thing is sort of the the little pebble in in people's shoe. So you know, we have hundreds of thousands of followers on our accounts on Instagram, and half the time we're you know sharing inspiring quotes or photos or something funny or cute, um, and it's all connecting to mindfulness in one way or another. Mindfulness being sort of like the top of the mountain, and there's 800 different pathways you can take to get there. Um, you know, we can use anything. We can use business to get to mindfulness. We can use cute kitties, you know, or puppies to get to mindfulness. You can use anything. But whenever we talk about, say, gun gun safety, um, which is obviously in the news right now, we always get a dozen comments saying, shut up. Why are you talking about <laughs> politics? You know, F you. Um, stay condescending comments saying stuff like, uh, just talk about what you're good at, you know, stay in your wheelhouse. Um, and I love those comments because then I can start saying, Hey, we're actually about, you know, we're about life. We're about the world. You can't stay out of politics. Politics affect food. Politics affect infrastructure. Politics affect education. Politics affect war, you know, or peace or equality. And we're about all these things. So. Yeah, it's really great because I, I certainly find amongst some people, they feel, let's say, in the mindfulness world that it's not their job to talk about politics or that's for someone else or, you know, it's just it falls outside of their scope. And you, it sounds like you're, you don't shy away from it at all. Well, it's like if spirituality is just for navel gazing, I don't want any part of it. Right. I grew up in the Buddhist community. And when I was a teenager, you know, I was busy like playing video games or playing basketball or, you know, chasing after girls or um, pretty ineffectually. And I would walk into the meditation room and I'd see a hundred people meditating on a beautiful Vermont afternoon. And in my mind, I'd be like, what are you guys hiding from? Like, get out there and live, you know, carpe diem. <laughs> I made a little Robin Williams speech in the back of the <laughs> hall in my mind. But, um, you know, what I learned later is that people actually are dealing with reality. Meditation is important. They're um, sorting themselves out. You call meditation practice, meditation practice for a reason. It's practice for life. And if you're not going to then get out there and be of service to the greater good, then it's just selfish, right? Um, so if spirituality is selfish, that's the opposite of spirituality. Yeah, and there's always an ongoing conversation about how to strike that right balance, right? How much on the mat, how much out in the world and how to help let one support the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think Eleanor Roosevelt said it best. She said, uh, I was miserable my whole childhood at, at some point growing up, I realized that I was only happy when I was thinking about others, when I was serving others. And from that point on, that's all I ever wanted to do. So there's no real balance exactly. It's more like one becomes the other and, and they feed one another, kind of as you said. Hmm. I wonder if you know, particularly today uh, is a particularly polarized political environment in our country. Uh -huh. uh, and since poli politics is part of what Elephant Journal addresses and you're trying to do it in a holistic way, you know, have you seen in any way within Elephant Journal, let's say b among the authors or readers and comments, have you seen any way in which Elephant Journal's approach has helped people maybe bridge some of those political or other divides? 
Yeah, I think, you know, as we've talked about, we do engender these respectful conversations where you're, you can be agreeable and disagreeing. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, we're, whether we're 5 million readers or 23 million readers a month, depending on the month, we're, we're a drop in the ocean. Um, and I think people just need to remember not to believe Twitter or not to believe Facebook that we're actually not more polarized than at any other time in history, but social media is far more social media feeds polarization and isolation and siloization. And in turn, social media can be create reality as we've seen. So that does make us more polarized than we've ever been. But if you actually go talk with, you know, a Bernie Sanders supporter or a Trump supporter or a Hillary supporter or whatever, um, you know, very quickly, 99% of the time, you're going to realize they're a human being. They have their own set of experiences. They're decent. They want their children to be happy. They want um, to be happy themselves. They want to be able to pay their mortgage. Like people are human beings, you know, and the cool thing about yoga, which is one of our main area of focuses, or even the environment, surprisingly, is that, you know, 50% of those readers are conservative. So, you know, people might want to destroy the EPA, but they're still going to buy organic food half the time for their children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my father is conservative and they go to Whole Foods for their kids. They never went to Whole Foods for themselves, you know? Yeah, it's really amazing. It breaks the stereotype that, you know, someone who does yoga must be politically liberal or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yoga is, um, in, in, you know, it's old, young, it's rich, poor. It does tend, uh, trend toward, uh, richer, uh, cause classes can be pricey, but you know, there's a ton of students and a ton of uh, people who are not well off who, who figure out how to do it or practice at home. I wonder if we can talk a little bit how about how technology relates to all of this. You know, uh, Elephant yeah. Journal is an is in part an online forum. I wonder if you could talk about some of the challenges and and benefits of having it be online. You know, compared to print, and you know where mm. you see that heading. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm an old man now. I remember when Harry Potter came out, the notion that like when they read the newspaper that the images moved that was magic. Like now. <laughs> You know, we were a print magazine. We started in 2002. We went national over six years and then I jumped online. Um, and I was in love with online. Like people always say, Oh, don't you miss the print? I love curling up on a couch reading a, you know, dwell magazine or whatever. And I think, you know, all respect to, to people who say that, but magazines are devastating for the environment. The inks are poisonous. Shipping them around is awful. Um, and how often do you really get that? that picture in your mind of yourself cozying up on your couch. You know, I struggle to get through the Sunday New York times every week, um, let alone the New Yorker. So the online thing is, you know, I can publish a blog about, uh, let's say the recent gun safety stuff. And someone can read that in Paris or in Mongolia in two seconds. And there can be videos, which are those sort of Harry Potter, like moving things on a page. Um, you know, you can share it immediately. It's pretty magical. Uh, and it's all free, basically. You can read for free. You can share for free. You can distribute for free. Uh, you're cutting out a lot of middlemen. Now with uh, net neutrality falling apart, um, you know, we're seeing the big boys are trying to kind of uh, take over and solidify the Internet, um, you know, as they do with everything. But 
up until now, it's basically been a Wild West kind of situation in a pretty wonderful way. Yeah, so you've seen a lot of the positives of being online. I wonder if you've yeah. had to had to deal with any of the challenging negatives with, I don't know, if you've had trolls in your comment section or uh, you've thought about uh, how to deal with people being uh, probably not addicted to Elephant Journal, but, you know, <laughs> distraction yeah. and, and pe- grabbing people's attention and maybe having to take advantage of that or struggling with how to do it in a way that's still respectful of people's attention and time. Yeah, I mean, there's an inherent tension in in being a, about mindfulness, living a mindful life, uh, encouraging people to get outside and find their breath and all that kind of stuff, and being online where 70% of our readers are reading on their phone while they're, you know, on the toilet or walking and they really should be just, you know, looking at the trees and enjoying their life. Um, but, you know, we some of our more successful blogs and um, Instagram shares and all that say, you know, get offline. Um, mm-hmm. go for a hike, remember to breathe, relax your shoulders, you know, just, so I actually love that. Like, um, people sometimes call us hypocrites for talking about this kind of thing online. And I say, well, you don't want to talk about mindfulness to a bunch of monks on top of the Himalayas, right? You want to talk about mindfulness to crazy, speedy business people and college kids and parents, you know, these are the people who need mindfulness and appreciate it um, uh, the most. And we're the people who are changing the world in the same way. Uh, you know, we don't preach about riding a bicycle to cyclists. We preach about riding a, the, the joys and the conveniences and the affordability of riding a bicycle to people who are, um, you know, driving every day and maybe they don't have to. Yeah, it seems to me to come back to what you started talking about at the beginning, which is trying to reach people where they actually are, you know, and not just be preaching to the choir. Yeah. And to answer your question, we don't really have trolls. I don't think we have a lot of angry people who say awful things, but troll trolling is like another level. It's almost gets more into like, you know, the, the Russian efforts online or just people who have nothing better to do than try to make your life miserable. We're not, I don't really think we have that. I think troll is an overused term. Uh, you know, a troll has to be pretty dedicated and focused on ruining your life. And, you know, we have very few. We have a lot of people who disagree. We have a lot of jerks in the comments. But <laughs> again, we we block people if they get ad hominem about it. You know, if they're insulting the person instead of talking about the issue. Um, but if they're at even 10 percent constructive, we'll we'll allow it and have a conversation. Yeah, so it sounds like the level of discourse is pretty high on Elephant Journal. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder how, how you've dealt with that uh, maybe tension between allowing free discourse and deciding when on that rare occasion to block someone in the interest of keeping the conversation healthy and productive. Right. Well, I had the advantage of, so when I went online, I had lost my entire staff because, you know, we lost all of our readers because we were a print magazine. So then we lost all of our advertisers. So then I lost all my staff. So it was basically just me. And I had the advantage of working 18 hours a day, seven hours, seven days a week <laughs> for, for years. So I, I have like a, you know, like canoe, canoe Reeves in uh, the matrix. I like, I learned Kung Fu. I learned comment <laughs> Kung Fu. Um, you know, I can, I feel like I know. I have all kinds of tricks up my sleeve with comments. Like sometimes if there's a super, um, 
awful comment, like really awful. Instead of blocking them, I'll leave it up and then let our healthy, it's sort of like letting a little bit of a, what is it when you, you let a, like with a flu shot or something, you let a little bit of the sickness in and then your immune system gets healthy to it. Yeah. Um, I let, I let it stay and let it get flooded by positive comments saying mm. no Nazis aren't great or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> instead of just blocking it. Um, and obviously if it's like hate speech or super awful and there's nothing constructive I can do with it, I'll, I'll block it. Um, I do genuine, genuinely want to have a conversation, not just be right and get more likes. I think one of the worst things about Facebook and Twitter and stuff is that people are trying to get likes on their kind of, uh, retorts, you know, they're, uh, soapboxing at each other. So it just becomes a bunch of people trying to be witty in 40 or whatever, however many characters instead of anyone actually trying to talk. Um, I find liberals just as obnoxious about that as, as say <laughs> Trump, right. you know, everyone's just shouting at each other and it's like, God, you know, you're shouting online. Like it, it doesn't exist. You're just a hero in your own little, you know, this goes back to the forties or whatever in world war two, you're an armchair. Uh, what was it? Armchair general, right? You're like, like just get a life, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's only a hypothesis that maybe the, the level of discourse, though, is generally higher on Elephant Journal if the readers are already mindfulness practitioners. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some are mindfulness practitioners, but, you know, a lot of our readers have probably rarely, if ever, meditated or done yoga. You know, again, it's so we have like 12 areas of focus and, you know, so there's no real that's kind of what I like is it's a big coalition instead of one tight community. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the green and environmental aspect, which you said in one sense is, is a major part of Elephant Journal, and yet it doesn't take up a very large percentage of the content on the site. Maybe you could talk about the role it plays and its importance and you know where you yeah. see it fitting in and maybe even your own personal commitment to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm super passionate, nerdy environmentalist. I love, love it. And I think that's something most people miss out with in terms of environmentalism is they forget that it's fun. Like, to me, it is mindfulness when you remember to turn off the light switch or it is mindfulness when you bother to take the darn little plastic label off the banana peel so you can compost it. Um, you know, mindfulness is a sort of boring word. Like, mindfulness should be fun. You know, mindfulness is really waking up to your world and being fully present and thoughtful and responsible. And, and, uh, that's pretty fun to be present. You know, mm. I have a, some quote that we printed on a, on a pint glass. Uh, I didn't have anything to do that. It was like a surprise for my birthday, but it says, um, uh, the present moment is where the brilliance happens. So we almost need a different word than mindfulness, one that has a little more fun in it. Like anything good that ever happened in your life, you had to be present for it or you would you would miss out on it. Mm -hmm. Whether it's making love or eating a good meal or, you know, having some success at work or whatever it is. It's really a great reminder. I mean, I don't know why it is, but you're certainly right that very often uh, in this world, people... Uh, take themselves very seriously, which they should, but there often does seem to be an element of fun or spontaneity missing from it. Right, right. And that's what's great about the Zen tradition is they're simultaneously really serious uh, and troublemakers. There's a right. long tradition of troublemaking in the Zen tradition. 
Yeah, if you look at some of the stories about the way the masters would teach their students, you know, they're really um, playing tricks. You might say that they probably really enjoyed, you know, confounding their students for long periods of time. Exactly. Yeah, there's a great quote. I think it's Chinese Zen or Chinese Buddhism, where if everyone in society is obsessed with wearing brocade, then the the true teacher, the true guru will run into the middle of the court uh, in rags. Uh, (laughs) And if everyone is slovenly and degraded and, and, you know, with their shirts hanging out and their pants falling off or whatever, then the teacher should, uh, you know, teach in public in brocade. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is, you should kind of go against the stream mm. and wake people up. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's kind of, I don't know how it comes across as the attitude of Elephant Journal, but it does seem to me as a whole that that sharp, vibrant, kind of lively, uh, dynamic attitude comes through somehow. I don't know if that's intentional or not. I hope so. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes we... Like we'll put up blogs about how eating too much kale or drinking smoothies or, uh, you know, gluten free, uh, can be bad for you. And our own readers will get so angry at us, uh, that you would think that, <laughs> yeah, you would think that we just actually said something of like actually awful. Um, <laughs> like, you know, black people are awful or something, you know, like gluten-free kale smoothies are more important to our readers than social equality. Sometimes it seems like, um, so my point is like, we are trying on some level to do, to do journalism and we will report facts, even if those facts offend our own, uh, constituency. Hmm. I wonder if we could talk a little bit then about the the constituency being online again about this online versus offline you know the the mindfulness uh, world uh, traditionally teaching of mindfulness was done in person and still today a lot of uh right guided meditations are done by a teacher in person yoga is very physical movement based activity done in person i wonder if you could talk uh, about some of the challenges of bringing it online what you see as benefits or you know difficulties involved in taking what historically have been has been knowledge and and wisdom and practices passed on directly in person and shifting it to an online environment. Hmm. That's an amazing question. I don't even know what to say. Like in the Buddhist tradition uh, that I grew up in, um, yeah, it was called an oral tradition passed from mouth to ear, you know, Um, very intimate. But I do know that a lot of people have a really strong heart connection with elephants. So somehow reading Mm -hmm. articles or maybe watching the videos in those articles, um, people really connect. And, you know, so many people have said, you know, when I was going through a divorce or whatever their thing is that they're going through, um, elephants showed up for them. And that's not self-promotion. That's like literally some comments I've been reading. Um, So, yeah, I do sometimes feel like blogging is sort of like throwing little pebbles at a battleship or something like it's Mm. not that effective. Um, and on the other hand, if I can put up a blog, um, like I just tweeted about how George HW Bush when he was president left the NRA because the NRA LaPierre, the head of the NRA had the, um, gall to insult, uh, the FBI and others. And, um, and now we have a president who's doing that. And, um, you know, so just pointing out things 
where it's not hyper-partisan and there's common values that we can all come together on, I think it is a powerful role, even if it is only online. Hmm. Uh, so who knows? Yeah, I think, it, but that's a good point. I think if we could be in person, you know, I do a ton of videos um, uh, and that I think is some effect, some attempt to connect more directly. And, and my most popular videos are sometimes interviews with famous folks, but more often they're just me in my like living room talking to a camera, just trying to talk about something simple, you know, like how to make friends with yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if where where do you see Elephant Journal going? Are there any, you know, changes you're thinking about, improvements, different directions to take it in or you know, yeah. I know it's working great as it is, but I'm sure you're always thinking ahead. Well, Facebook, I mean, to get into technology or, uh, a little bit, Facebook has reduced the traffic of most sites by say 80% over the last 4 years. Facebook has become sort of the death the death star of of media. Uh, it, for a time, for, for years, maybe five or 10 years, it was a real partner. Even if you had no real relationship with Facebook, if you built up a fan page, you know, we have 5 million fans on 60 pages. Um, you built up a community, X percent of those people would see your posts and read and um, Facebook would benefit. I always joke that my staff, my entire staff, I was paying them to post and work for Facebook. Um, but at the same time you get some percentage of readers back. And even if it was small, you could, you could build it up to become a pretty significant site, which I did and many others have done. And then, um, the last four years that kind of changed. I think Facebook has kind of lost its way in terms of its relationship to media, whether it's fake news or quality journalism. And, uh, so we have been working for nine years, uh, in fits and starts We're pretty small. So, We've been working slowly and without that much money uh, to build our own internal social media, which is what I call the ecosystem. Um, uh, and the idea is sort of like the recycle symbol is that four or five different actions all feed into one another, like the arrows in a recycle symbol. And um, that eventually, as my parents, Buddhist teacher, Trump Rinpoche would always talk about, uh, we can stand on our own two feet and our community can kind of um, you know, be circulate as much as it cares to within Elephant without needing to find us in Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, so we're working on that. And at that point, I think we'll go from being a nice little big or big little blog to um, a platform like Pinterest or whatever uh, that is independent, um, truly independent of other social media like Reddit Dot com, for example, doesn't care at all if Facebook is up, up or down. Reddit has its own internal ecosystem. So we're basically trying to build the same thing. That's really exciting. I mean, I've thought for a while and I've seen a lot of public attention paid to the fact that, you know, Facebook is a platform and an architecture that's designed in a certain way. And it's not that it's intentionally uh, biasing the content, but it, you know, ha as, as a result of the architecture, you know, it has impacts on how people communicate with each other, what types of content rises to the top and yeah. all kinds of other. It's not it's not neutral. Right. No. It's not neutral. Uh, so, you know, it's really exciting to hear about, uh, you know, you building something that's going to be independent and, and presumably independent of those types of at least the Facebook biases. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we're not taking action on Syria, or there's a reason we're not taking action on climate change. There's a reason we're not taking action on ocean acidification um, is that they're hard to read about. Um, I just watched a, uh, a little uh, presentation on, on Syria, Syria using sarin gas, which was created by the Nazis uh, on their own citizens, including children, um, thanks to the 60 Minutes, uh, 60 Minutes, which is obviously a quality TV journalism show. And, um, you know, I didn't want to watch that section, but I just kind of forced myself to do it. And then within two minutes, I was, you know, enraptured and inspired. This is mm-hmm. so awful. And I, you know, want to take part. And that is basic goodness. Again, from the Buddhist point of view, empathy is the most powerful emotion on the planet. And um, it's a sign of our fundamental human goodness that we care. When we see children being gassed to death, we want to help. Um, So uh, where was I going with all that? Um, that, It sounds like maybe Facebook biases people towards uh, the positive. Yeah, it does that, but it also does it loves loves headlines like Bernie Sanders slams Trump, like good versus bad, whatever it is. Trump slams Bernie Sanders would do just as well, if not better. So mm-hmm. it it hates uh, it doesn't support uh, articles like how to how to build compost in your backyard or how to how to do a meatless Monday. Here's <laughs> three recipes. Um, how to uh, be aware of ocean acidification, what you can do about it, or plastic pollution, or whatever. Um, That kind of stuff doesn't really travel on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, Invective and polarization travels on Facebook and Twitter and all them. It sounds like this new social media platform you'll be developing internally is in the works. I don't want to ask you to give away the secret sauce, but can you tell people anything about what's coming and, you know, what's what's going to make it unique and when we can try it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the first, so there's like five parts to it. The first part actually is live. It's, um, you can go look at elephantjournal.com slash now, N-O-W, um, which is basically a platform for people to write instantly on elephant, a la a Twitter, like a tweet or a Facebook status or a Reddit post. Um, and it's not really tied into the other four parts. So it's not very exciting yet. But for the first time, you know, so we have a quality team of professional editors, which is um, something we always will have. And we deeply believe in, you know, actually doing journalism, which requires editors. But for those who don't consider themselves writers, but who are putting tons of love into their Instagram or their Facebook statuses or tweets, uh, they can now share instantly to elephants. So. Basically, the whole platform feeds itself. So it's like four or five different arrows. And the first arrow is, in, like with Elephant Now, opening up the bottleneck so that everyone can post. Uh, everyone out there, you, everyone has a story. And yet only, say, 1% of our readers ever write an article um, because most people don't consider themselves writers. So even with the help of our professional editors, people are just it's too clunky. Like people have a thought, they put it on Facebook. People have a thought, they put it on Twitter. People have a thought, they put it on Reddit. Now people have a, a thought um, like, hey, I'm giving away my bicycle or why does Starbucks do whatever, you know, this typical random things. You can put on Elephant Now and if it gains traction, then our editorial team can cherry pick the best stuff. And if they 
if there's a quality message in there, whether it's short or long or shallow or funny or deep or whatever, if there's some mission in there, they can promote it to our magazine section, which is elephantjournal.com as you know it, and where it gets professionally edited. And then writers, you know, readers will have all kinds of things they can do. Already there's favoriting or hearting, so people can heart a post. Um, you'll see heart it. And then once you click it, heart, it says hard, hearted. Um, and then there's like five other actions that will come in. And all of them are, these actions are similar to what you see with Twitter or Facebook or whatever, but they're different in that there will be editor's picks. We're actually trying to take social media and make it a little bit less um, kind of mob mentality and a little bit, or in a little bit less speedy, like, um, that you can just sit there and like 20 Facebook posts, but really never take anything in. Yes. You can like Bernie Sanders hates Trump or Trump hates Bernie Sanders, but you never go any deeper. Um, so based on all those reader and editor actions, a post can rise to the top, kind of similar to Kickstarter, Reddit, or Threadless. So Threadless was a big inspiration for this. They kind of saved a whole generation of designers they were called Idea of the Year in the New York Times. And we're trying to do the same thing for um, journalists and for everyday creative writers. So basically find a way that thousands upon thousands of writers on Elephant can, or, or artists, you know, sharing their photos or their art or their videos can get paid uh, small to large amounts, depending on the traction they make, uh, directly by readers. So readers will be able to tip uh, articles they like. So if you're going through, if you have Lyme disease and you read an article on Elephant, it talks about natural remedies for Lyme disease that actually work, and you apply those to your life and they actually help, you can say, wow, that article really changed my life. Here's a dollar. Mm-hmm. Here's five dollars. Whatever. You can, you know, you can do a thousand dollars if you're drunk and loving that article. <laughs> and then that money actually Uh, It's sort of complicated to explain, but it doesn't go directly to that author unless it's over a certain amount. It goes into a pool, kind of like a pool for the playoffs with college basketball or whatever. And then that pool is distributed to the top writers of that uh, week, of that cycle. So the idea is we don't want to be sending out $10,001 checks to 10,000 different people. We want to distribute it um, to the top writers um, of that period. So um, part of my goal, you know, my father is a journalist and his father was a journalist and la la la. Uh, Journalism has fallen apart in the last 20 years. That's not a secret to anyone. Um, You know, my father was a a journalist for various publications, including the Rocky Mountain News in Denver, which is now, which had been around for 200 years and is now out of business. Um, So, the idea is basically to fund a whole new generation of writers, journalists, citizen journalists, creative writers, uh, artists, and um, help them make a small part-time living to a successful full-time living off of that, depending how much they invest in it. Wow, that's really amazing. Uh, 
Thanks for sharing all of it. I mean, in so so many different ways, and particularly the last part. I mean, I I agree. Journalism and publishing, uh, even think about things like the encyclopedia business. You know, all of these things have been devastated. Um, I remember, I don't remember how many years ago when even the the term Web 2.0 was starting out. You know, people were hailing it uh, with all the user generated content. Look how much this was going to help knowledge spread. And that's true. But, you know, it, it almost eliminated the ability of people to earn a living from from writing you know that's always yeah. been the the, the challenge um, and people are seeing the consequences of it now so this is pretty incredible that you're creating a way but you know it's not just right trying to put the old way back in place it's really leveraging technology yeah. right to enable people in real time to put up their what they've written and for people who appreciate it to pay for it directly yeah, I mean, that's why the ecosystem is so exciting is that I know it will work because it's based on five other ecosystems that have worked, but they have never been applied to journalism or to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just taking a bunch of tools that have worked and kind of harnessing them together. Um, so it's taken a long time, but Elephant Now is the first kind of manifestation of the, those five arrows. And uh, I encourage everyone... If you're curious, you can go to elephantjournal.com slash share now and you can post whatever you want. And uh, if it's hate speech, we'll block you. If it's <laughs> anything else, and if it's anything else, um, you know, people can vote on it and take various actions. And within, um, you know, just basically, it always irritates me. Like this morning, a uh, yoga teacher who I love, Sam Sees the World or something, um, wrote this beautiful, beautiful thing on Instagram. And, you know, when you write on Instagram, you think you're building up this huge community. You have 2000 likes, you have whatever, if you're popular, uh, but really you're reaching, you know, a couple thousand people. If you write in a pretty mediocre article on elephant, you're reaching 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you write a successful one, you're reaching hundreds of thousands. And then that article can link back to your massage therapy business or your therapy business or your yoga teaching or your whatever you do. Um, and, uh, you know, so basically we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of influencers, thousands, all working for Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Mm -hmm. And Facebook has shown that they don't really care about the greater good. I wouldn't say they're evil by any means, but they're, they're a corporation and they're into their own things. Elephant is really, you know, we are independent and we are mission driven and uh you know there's a lot of easier ways to get wealthy um <laughs> we're we're really doing this um for our world which god knows it needs it and then you know that's it last question is um when can people expect the next phases of now or the related parts of elephant journal to roll out so they can use them well, we've been working on it for years. So basically, we've done all the iceberg work, all the work that you don't see below the ocean surface, um, which most of it was sort of structural or financial or whatever, so that we can handle every the little tip of the iceberg stuff, which is now starting to surface like Elephant Now. So honestly, all of it should be uh, live relatively quickly over the next six months. Um, and then you know, tweaking it will be an ongoing process that will take however long, I mean, forever on some level, but certainly, um, I think we'll have a functioning ecosystem where you can actually tip authors probably within a year. Mm. 
That would be my guess. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So I'll encourage people again, uh, right now they can go to elephantjournal.com slash now, uh, and sure. stay, stay on the lookout for all of the improvements coming up over the next year. Yeah, it's fun. And, you know, again, most of those, most of the, those improvements should happen over the next couple months. I think the tweaking and the improving will, uh, be over the next year. I mean, we're going to be a bit like, you know, we're kind of ready for the, the dress rehearsal pretty much now, but we're going to be pretty awkward. It's not going to be a great show to watch for about a year. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone who goes to Elephant Journal will uh, practice patience and <laughs> seeing yeah. it unfold. <laughs> well, the well, cool thing is until it's, until it's any good, nobody's really going to use it. So I'm pretty relaxed about it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks so much, Waylon. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast today. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much for your interest and your time and your great questions. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Waylon Lewis, founder of Elephant Journal, and a leading proponent of mindful living. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. And check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with Victor Meyer Schoenberger, the author of Delete, The Virtue of Forgetting in the Digital Age.